1: Kevin McCarthy
2: addresses Congress for the first time... As speaker, A little temporary conflict is necessary in this town in order to stop this town from rolling over the American people. President Biden visits the southern border for the first time in his
1: presidency. I'm skeptical that it will really deal with the heart of the problem. The Southwest Airlines holiday collapse could cost up to $825 million.
3: In this situation, the U.S. Department of Transportation has essentially put Southwest Airlines on notice...
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, January 9th. I'm Mike Scott. In the early morning hours on Saturday, on the 15th ballot, Representative Kevin McCarthy won his bid to become House Speaker, breaking a stalemate that has held up Congress for the past few days. Joe Khalil of News Nation says that while McCarthy has finally won the Speaker's gavel, his real work is just now
4: beginning. In many ways, his battle really may just be starting. Look, as Speaker, he's going to have to decide what comes up to the floor for a vote at all, and he's also going to have to be the one to really unite his party around their big priorities. And from everything that we saw with this process last week, that may getting really messy and it may not be an easy thing for him to do.
1: Khalil explains some of the concessions that McCarthy had to make to some of the GOP's members of the Freedom Caucus.
4: Monday, the new House will have to vote on the rules that dictate how the chamber is run. In order to win over their votes, McCarthy agreed to the demands of a small group of Freedom Caucus conservative Republicans, including rules that weaken his speakership. Just one person can demand a vote to remove him as speaker. Bills must be made public 72 hours before a vote. And he agreed to steer more hardliners to key committee posts.
1: Addressing the House... McCarthy joked that once he did have 100% of the vote from his conference.
5: That was easy, huh? (laughs) I never thought we'd get up here. Thank you, Minority Leader Jeffries. Hakeem, I've got to warn you. Two years ago, I got 100% of the vote. From my conference.
1: McCarthy says that the responsibility of the House is not to political parties, but to the country.
5: And now the hard work begins. What we do here today, next week, next month, next year, will set the tone for everything that follows. Tonight, I want to talk directly to the American people. As Speaker of the House, my ultimate responsibility is not to my party, my conference, or even our Congress. My responsibility, our responsibility, is to our country.
1: McCarthy promises that House Republicans will hold the Biden administration accountable.
5: A commitment for a government that is held accountable. Where Americans get the answers they want, need and deserve. Our system is built on checks and balances. It's time for us to be a check and provide some balance to the president's policies.
1: According to reports, the new rules package will include establishing a House Select Committee on the weaponization of the federal government. Lawmakers will be given 72 hours to review bills before they come to the House floor, among other concessions. Congressman Chip Roy of Texas joined CNN and said that the conflict Americans saw
2: between Republicans was necessary. Well, first of all, uh, you know, let's remember that uh, a little temporary conflict is necessary in this town in order to stop this town from rolling over the American people. I don't think anybody uh, on either side of the aisle could uh, say with a straight face that they think that Washington is doing uh, good work for the American people on a regular basis and isn't broken. Uh, it, we, we have to work to fix this place. And look, some of the tensions you saw on display, uh, when we saw some of the you know, the interactions there between Mike Rogers and Matt Gaetz, uh, you know, some of that is, we need a little of that. We need a little of this sort of breaking the glass in order to get us to the table, in order to fight for the American people, and to change the way this place is dysfunctional. Roy also
1: went on to explain some concessions the House Freedom Caucus were able to
2: achieve. So this all started going back last summer. We wanted rules to open this place up. We wanted more transparency. We wanted more openness, more ability to add uh, amendments to the floor. So, for example, you ask, what else did we get? We got amendments to be able to, I'm sorry, we got the ability to offer amendments on the floor of the House during appropriations uh, that will open it up again. We haven't done that. So since I've been in Congress, I've not been able to offer an amendment on the floor. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been an amendment offered in open debate since May of 2016. The Texas congressman
1: goes on to say that the problems in Washington don't belong to
2: just one party. This isn't just a shirts and skins, red and blue, you know, two-team thing. This is history because this hasn't happened in the last hundred years. But understand why that's so. Two-party entrenchment has made it to where we don't have a good back and forth yeah. to sit at the table and try to accomplish. Roy states that debate over the debt ceiling should start now. The fastest way to guarantee that we have debt rating problems is to keep spending money we don't have and keep piling up debt, and that's what we're doing. The Uniparty in Washington... Republicans and Democrats, the power brokers, which, by the way, were reflected by Mike Rogers when he goes in and he's pushing back on the, the He says, I will finish you. Right. Said. So why is that? Because when you push back on the swamp, the swamp's going to push right back. We saw that in display. That's okay. So you say, well, are we going to have this kind of uh, conflict going forward? I hope so. But we started this now. It's January. So the debt ceiling or the debate is going to be in a few months. Let's do it now, guys. Let's right. get this out there. Both sides of the aisle. Everybody within each party, let's figure out how we're going to actually fix this, because the American people are sick of us not doing our job. Roy goes on to say that
1: it is an imperative that the government starts spending within its
2: means. What we've been very clear about is we're not going to touch the benefits that are going to people relying on the benefits under Social Security and Medicare. But we all have to be honest about sitting at the table and figuring out how we're going to make those uh, work, how we're going to deal with defense spending and how we're going to deal with non-defense discretionary spending, but we've got to spend with hold spending within our means. The House is set to vote later today on a rules package, and
1: some Republican lawmakers have already signaled their intention to oppose it. Over the weekend, President Joe Biden, for the first time in his presidency, visited the U.S.-Mexico border. NewsNation's nations marking e. Martin outlines where the president visited during his trip.
4: Biden's first stop was at El Paso's busiest port of entry. From there, he toured a migrant services center funded by FEMA. Hello, America. Illegal crossings have skyrocketed under Biden's watch. During the fiscal year that ended in September, there were nearly 2.4 million encounters, the first time that number surpassed 2 million.
1: Former Customs and Border Protection Chief Rodney Scott said that the sheer volume of migrants are taking customs agents off their patrols.
6: It's off the charts. I believe a prior secretary under Obama said over 1,000 a day, is, 4,000 in custody, it makes him lose sleep. People need to put that into perspective. So every single one of those, those let's just call it a number for right now, That's about an hour, a man-hour minimum of processing. That literally wipes out all the Border Patrol agents on the line.
1: Texas Governor Greg Abbott handed Biden a letter as soon as he touched down in the state, saying the chaos at the border was a direct result of the president's failure to enforce federal laws. Abbott tells news outlets that the Biden visit has come too little, too late.
3: I told him how thousands of
1: Texans have lost their lives, tens of thousands of Texans have been had their lives destroyed by his open border policies. But most importantly, I provided to him something that he asked for. The president asked for solutions from Republicans. In the letter that I gave him, I provided five solutions that already exist. It just so happens he's two years and about $20 billion too late. What did the president say to you? He said he wanted to work with us. Last week, Biden announced new policy initiatives to deal with the border crisis. However, critics believe that at least part of the reason the White House announced the border plan was an attempt to blunt the impact of upcoming investigations into immigration promised by House Republicans. Guy Benson, Town Hall's political editor, joined Fox News and says that he's skeptical that the Biden administration will have a fix for the border crisis.
7: Well, they've announced their new policy package late last week. I'm skeptical that it will really deal with the heart of the problem in a number of different ways. The numbers that we just put up on the screen are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back to the what, it's like the first three months, roughly the first hundred days of last fiscal year, it was over half a million people encountered at the border. That was a blowout number. Totally unacceptable. And then, thus far, this fiscal year, it's more than 200000 more. more. I mean, that, I think, helps underscore... Uh There it is. That underscores right there what you're looking at, the scope of this problem. This is a mind-blowing magnitude that we're talking about. And I'm glad that Governor Abbott prepared that letter. Simple one page, a few bullet points of solutions, handing it directly to a president who has gone out of his way to ignore this problem. He has not even pretended to care about this problem. Abbott understood he had... One shot, a moment, to try to get his position across, and he's done so.
1: Benson outlines how the Trump-era policy of remain in Mexico
7: curbed the amount of illegal migrant crossings. And I think in that letter, the most important phrase, three words in the letter, remain Mm -hmm. in Mexico. That is the number one policy under President Trump that the reversal of which has been particularly harmful and i read a reuters story today that was borderline propaganda and it was all framing it as the republicans unwilling to work with the democrats on immigration and that's really the problem and they said this intransigence i'm paraphrasing leaves president biden with few good options and it's just not true we could talk about legislative solutions at some point he could reinstitute remain in mexico tomorrow as a policy and things would get a lot better he's not going to do that and he should have to answer why
1: Benson goes on to say that the border needs new policies rather than a new
7: influx of spending. Probably some additional resources are appropriate. It's more, much more about the policy. That cannot be said enough. Not so much spending, some key reversals. Secondly, that montage that we just played, I hope that President Biden, during his time on the ground there, will actually listen to some of those precise people, either them specifically or people like them. He needs to hear that message. Whether he's actually going to have that, if the handlers have sort of orchestrated this thing and choreographed it differently, then that would be a missed opportunity, I would say. And we'll probably learn more about that in the hours and days to come. From Texas, Biden
1: headed south to Mexico City, where he and leaders of Mexico and Canada will gather Monday and Tuesday for a North American Leaders Summit. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton has now confirmed that he plans to mount a 2024 presidential bid in a move to attempt to prevent former President Trump from winning the
8: White House again. Not only is John Bolton a controversial and equally uh, fascinating figure in American politics, Uh, bearing in mind he has made it clear that he wants to derail Donald Trump's campaign to recapture that famous White House behind me, but he's also made a bit of a rare intervention in British politics, telling me of his frustration that Liz Truss, who spent 44 days in Downing Street, was forced to resign. He said he believes that she was a great leader, and he also went as far as saying that he uh, was... He, he widely supported her hugely controversial economic policies. And if that's not enough, he's also making some big predictions. He says, like, just like him, he's also predicting that Boris Johnson may make a bit of a comeback this year.
1: According to Bolton, he feels that the U.S. needs a stronger
9: foreign policy presence. I would get in to win the nomination, and I would do it uh, primarily on the basis that we need a much stronger foreign policy.
1: Bolton tells Good Morning Britain that countries like Russia and China should learn the U.S. will not tolerate aggression towards sovereign
9: nations. And I think it's important that it's understood not just in Moscow, but it's understood in places like Beijing that unprovoked aggression against your neighbors uh, is not something the United States and its allies will tolerate.
1: Bolton also says that he believes that he is qualified for the job A
9: president. I think Trump's support within the party itself uh, is in terminal decline.
8: What would you say to your critics who will obviously watch this interview and they will say okay listen John you simply don't have the experience. Well I wouldn't run
9: as a vanity candidate Uh, if, if I didn't think I could run seriously then then I wouldn't get in the
1: race. Bolton in 2020 published a memoir of his time at the White House called The Room Where It Happened. Southwest Airlines says the holiday meltdown may cost the company nearly $1 billion.
6: Passengers landing in Love Field Friday had a pretty normal experience.
4: I just landed from Kansas City. I just landed
7: from Phoenix. I just landed from L.A
6: and some already home, are getting good news.
7: It was like Christmas morning.
6: Jacqueline Sung and her family had multiple canceled Southwest flights coming back from Colorado on Christmas Day.
7: I spent the night at Denver Airport, very familiar with the airport now.
6: After a flight to Lubbock and a drive back to Dallas, Sung made it home with no idea where her four bags were. Until Friday morning, since Southwest sent her four bags with four $200 vouchers, Directly to her house.
2: I was basically jumping for joy when the FedEx guy was bringing the bags over.
6: In a Form 8K filing on Friday, Southwest Airlines said it expects a net loss from $725 million to $825 million in the fourth quarter of 2022 because of the late December cancellation debacle. CBS's senior travel
1: advisor Peter Greenberg says that there's a lot that Southwest may be on the hook for.
3: Well, here's the bad news going into this. There is no federal mandate, regulation, or law requiring Southwest to do anything here. Remember, there is no passenger Bill of Rights here. However, In this situation, the US Department of Transportation has essentially put Southwest Airlines on notice that they did violate their customer service agreement in this situation by not fulfilling their mission statement and they fully expect them to reimburse passengers. Southwest, of course, has basically said they would reimburse quote unquote reasonable expenses. We don't know what the definition of reasonable is. However, when you deal with accommodations, meals, in some cases clothing, because people were stranded for a number of days without their bags, toiletries, and then, of course, alternate forms of transportation. People who had to go out and buy expensive one-way tickets on other airlines, assuming there was even space, Mm. or rent expensive rental cars to either get home or to where they were trying to go in the first place.
1: Greenberg explains that Southwest is trying to get ahead of fines that may be coming their way.
3: Well, let me tell you what they're probably going to do, and that is the U.S. Department of Transportation has, again, put them on notice. There's a very good chance that the U.S. DOT will come in with an enforcement action here, which means a large proposed fine. And that's one of the reasons why Southwest Airlines is starting to write refund checks and reimbursement checks now to try to to do an advanced action, if you will, to mitigate what they think is going to be a pretty large fine.
1: Greenberg goes on to suggest tips for Southwest passengers looking for reimbursement.
3: Well, right now, pushing back is the way to go, simply because the airline's on notice from the DOT that they have to come up with adequate and sufficient reimbursement. So every case is individual. Mm -hmm. It's going to take some time. But the one thing pastors had to have learned from this is to develop a paper trail. Mm -hmm. Keep all your receipts. Make sure you get the names, first and last names and titles of anybody you spoke to at the airline so you can basically file a complaint with the U.S. DOT if you don't get satisfaction elsewhere.
1: This is not the first time the airline has suffered a costly service meltdown. It estimated similar problems during the Columbus Day weekend in 2021 costed about $75 million. But there were far fewer passengers flying then and far fewer flights canceled. We'll get an update on inflation and the mood of American consumers in the latest batch of economic reports due out this week. Our Daybreak Insider, Rich Thomason, tells us what to keep an eye on. The inflation update comes with release of the Consumer Price Index on Thursday. Ahead of that, Monday, we'll see the New York Fed issue its one-year and five-year inflation forecasts. The Atlanta Fed president also speaks Monday, and there will be an update on consumer credit. The University of Michigan chimes in Friday, releasing its closely watched Consumer Sentiment Index, along with its expectations for inflation at one and five years. Rich Thomason reporting. Recovering Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin took to Twitter Sunday and shared a game day message for his team right before they played the New England Patriots. He said, nothing I want more than to be running out that tunnel with my brothers. God using me in a different way today. Tell someone you love them today. Let's go Bills. At last Monday's game in Cincinnati, Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest after a tackle, scaring players and fans alike when first responders were forced to perform CPR on the field before rushing Hamlin to a nearby hospital. Before the game, Bills quarterback Josh Allen coached his teammates to play for the number three that they all wore on the front of their jerseys. Hey, they always say don't play for the name on the back, you play for the name on the front. pretty special we play for that number on the front, too. All right, let's go get one done. What do you to do? Hamlin was also honored during the national anthem. Today we celebrate DeMar's recovery, our love for DeMar, and our gratitude. Please rise and show your support as only Bill's Mafia can. In a storybook moment, Bill's running back, Naeem Hines, took the opening kickoff all the way for a touchdown.
0: New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle, and taking it past midfield, and down the sideline he goes.
1: This is storybook, an opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin in this place is absolutely going wild. The Bills changed its Twitter photo to a number three in Hamlin's honor. And finally, back in September, 11-year-old Jude Kofi was featured on a local Colorado news package after going viral on YouTube for his incredible skill with a piano.
2: Jude's dad heard a noise coming from the basement. There was an old keyboard down there but no one knew how to play it. Certainly not his autistic son, Jude. Or so he thought. Isaiah then got Jude a larger keyboard to see what more he could do. And boy, could he do.
0: The kid never had a lesson. No one taught him any of this.
1: For his part, Jude isn't sure where he learned how to play and calls it a miracle.
8: It's a miracle.
9: You think it's a miracle?
8: That's what I prefer.
1: A local piano tuner, Bill Magnuson, saw the boy and was blown away by the boy's talent. It's beyond special. He's Mozart level.
0: It's coming from somewhere beyond.
1: Magnuson learned from the new special that Jude was the son of immigrants from Ghana who were raising four children and sending money Back to Africa. What resources are left over to help this special little soul? Yours. Yeah. So Magnuson decided to foster the boys' innate talent. Using some inheritance money, spent $15,000 to buy Jude a grand piano. Jude's father, Isaiah, was astounded by the generosity.
8: All for free. Who does that?
1: Mr. Kofi and his family were beyond thankful for Magnuson's interest in Jude.
8: Somebody to just love your son like that by making sure that his future is secured, we are super thankful. Yeah.
1: In addition to the piano, Magnuson is also paying for professional lessons for Jude. And he has also agreed to tune the piano every month free for the rest of his life. We're family now. Magnuson went on to say that the ripple effects for the next 70 or 80 years are incalculable. It's not just for him. It's for all the people that he's going to touch. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com thanks for starting your day with us i'm mike scott <laughs>